Hey everyone, this is Jonathan. And this is Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. Where do you live? Have you ever thought about that? Just the place that you live. I live in Lima, Ohio. Which is a a town that lots of different people have different opinions about. Today we're thinking about the place that we live. Uh, um, Whether or not we're from there. Just the place we are right now. The place that our feet are planted right now. You know, the place that we have homes. Because really, the place that we live affects much of how we live, whether or not we want to admit it. The place that we live in, we, we can't be indifferent to it. And I think Jeremy and I would say that we have seen in our current culture somewhat of an indifference to place. And uh, we're going to get into issues that we think have kind of come out of that indifference today. But we're going to start by talking about the places that we live in. I live in Paulding, Ohio, which not many people have heard of or even know where it is. And and, and unfortunately, our, our, our little village, that's what we are. And when I first heard that, it made me immediately think of Shrek with pitchforks and knives. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it gets a bad rap. It, it, it really, people just dog the village that we live in. And I, the village is small. We probably have... Population between 3,800 to 4,000 people. We are the county seed. And in our county, we probably have closer to 19,000 people. Um, but it, it really is just a great place to live. Um, people know each other. Um, people uh, go to the local grocery store and you, you see people that you know and, and have conversations. Uh, you can get involved in, in local um, activities in your local school. You can get involved in... And all kinds of things that if you lived in a bigger city may not be afforded to you as easily. And um, we have great, uh, we have a great school. And, and once again, it, it t- tends to get a bad rap. And unfortunately, what I think happens a lot in Paulding is as, as we are living and people just, just think, oh, it's just Paulding. It's just who we are. And, and, and it's something that, that I've, I've really thought a whole lot about is, is what does it mean to, to be somebody from Paulding? What does it mean to really love the place that we are? And, and, and unfortunately, because of the negativity that is, a, that is in the air, in our city, in our town, um, I, I think it trickles down into um, the way our school thinks about itself, the way the students think about themselves, the way the students feel about their town. I, I think honestly it trickles down. I'm not saying our football team would be great, but I think that when our football team doesn't, you know, they, they haven't had great success as of recently. Um, but I think that, that when something goes bad on the football field, that's what they expect to happen. <laughs> they don't expect to kind of have a low estimation. Yeah. And like, it's, it's a, here we go again. And, Rather than playing the next play and saying, "Hey, we, we're gonna we're gonna get over this," it, so, it's just part of the ethos. It maybe is a word. Just what makes up who we are, and you just can kind of sometimes feel um, 
that that once again that that feeling it just kind of permeates what's the makeup of polling as far as industry jobs is it agricultural is there a large company up there that employs folks so we we do have a lot of farming um, a lot of our employees work at the school teachers and and such uh, we do have a GM plant that's pretty close okay we have um, a lot of people will go to Fort Wayne and, and work in Fort Wayne. Uh, several people go to Defiance and work in Defiance. And and I know our, our city officials and administration and council are really trying to rebrand Paulding as kind of a bedroom community, like come live in Paulding. You can work in Fort Wayne, you can work in all these other places, but they're, they're really trying to create that brand of... We do have some industry. Um, they're not real huge, you know, and, and, and do... Um, we have a steel company and and we have a, a company that makes seats for car, you know, just the small factory jobs. But um, I would say most often people either work outside that or they farm or are part of that. So you guys moved there from Arizona, right? From Phoenix, from the Chandler area, right? That's correct. So um, was that tough for you and Tara? You know, we... I think there's pros and cons, you know, in Arizona, we had a Chick-fil-A a mile from our house and the church that I was serving in, like literally across the street was a Starbucks and a Qdoba and a Whole Foods. Like, yeah. so it was, there was some, some neat convenience things about living in Arizona. Um, but the pace of life was just nuts, just fast. And, so there's something about Paulding that, that we re, really feel attracted to that, once again, the pace of life is a little more simple. It's a little more laid back. Um, people aren't as in a hurry. Um, but then there's some, you know, I, I would say the biggest cons is it's a Saturday night and I need a, a plug for a computer or something. Like I'm, I'm driving at least 20 minutes to, to be able to find that. You know, yeah, like sure. the convenience aspect of it is something that, but once again, I think, there's a lot more, there's a lot of pros and, um, and pros and cons to anywhere we've lived, you know, that it's, it, you just have to decide and, and say, okay, where, where's God wanting us? And we, we always said we would never move to a place because of location and, and what the location could provide us. It was always going to be, we feel like this is good for our family and, and this is potentially where God would, would want us to move to next. So I live in Lima and I have a, privilege or opportunity that I don't think um, a lot of people in our world, at least um, in the Midwest and the United States have anymore is I, I am now working and serving in the community that I grew up in. So many people from Lima, Ohio, they grow up and they go to college. And if you go to college, essentially, you're probably going to move to a larger city to work at a different job. Not all people, but a lot of people, a lot of my friends that I went to high school with, they have moved on to different cities and they live in different places. Um, Lima is a town that really became on, uh, it got on the map because of John D. Rockefeller in the 19th century. He just, they discovered oil along the Ohio, along the river, um, the Auglaize River in, um, in Lima. And John D. Rockefeller actually bought up the oil fields around and um, started a refinery there because there was uh, a lot of sulfur, the smell of sulfur when they would burn the oil. So he started a refinery and the the town has since then, it's always had a refinery. 
um, the Shea locomotive, which is no longer much of a, a it was just no longer used. It was produced in Lima. There's an army tank plant. The only tank plant in America is actually in Lima, Ohio. Ah. So there's a lot of like old industrious things about Lima that is endearing to a lot of people. But as a younger generation, a tech savvy generation grows up, you know, Lima has kind of had somewhat of a existential crisis. <laughs> like, cause there, um, it's a town of about um, 40,000 people. Allen County is a county of about a hundred thousand people. A lot of farming, um, but um, it's evolving just like any town in the Midwest. Um, and so um, it's it's had real economic problems yeah. in the last 30 years or so. Uh, when Kate and I drove through Lima to visit my family about, uh, I'd say, 10 years ago, nine years ago now, uh, we were driving through as we were living in a suburb of Chicago at the time. And Kate said to me, we are never going to live here. (laughs) I said to her then, I said, babe, don't say that. She was like, no, seriously, we're never going to live here. I'm like, I would not say that if I were you, you know. Well, it's funny because our district superintendent who is in our our tribe kind of helps churches find pastors. Um, Just was was for sure I wasn't, I wasn't coming. There's no way somebody would move from Phoenix area to Pauline, Ohio. And um, he was like, I just, the whole, the whole time during the interview process, he's like, this is a waste of time. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> and here we are almost six years later. Here we are. Wow. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Lima was put on the map because of Glee, the television show. Which so many people say it is, it is set in Lima, Ohio. Yeah. Um, which it's all, um, it's all make believe. There's not that, um, not it's not that there's not music in Lima, but that that program is not representative of what's going on at Lima Senior High School <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> sure. Yeah, know? sure. So we, but um, there were different doors that opened and uh, different opportunities provided, and Kate and I find ourselves back here in Lima. Which, um, if Kate were on the episode today, she would say she loves living in Lima. She really, sure, she really does. Um, she's created quite a community and home here and um we have together and it's really amazing and it's a place that we want to hope to raise our children and be here for a long time we we love this community um but it was uh just around the time that kate and i were moving to lima in 2014 uh the rolling stone actually uh wrote an article in the October edition of the Rolling Stone of 2014, the edition was called uh, "In Defense of Obama." It was a um, it was a magazine that was all, all of the stories were kind of highlighting the good things about um, Barack Obama's presidency, and one of the articles was about Lima, Ohio, because Lima is a place of pretty conservative national politics. It usually votes red. Uh, Jim Jordan, who's a very outspoken congressperson who you've probably heard of, um, is from Northwest Ohio. And um, so anyway, the Rolling Stone, they wrote this article about the demise of Lima, Ohio, the economy, the society of Lima, Ohio. And they said essentially the reason for the demise of Lima is because of conservative politics. And if you want to see what the entire nation would look like without Barack Obama as their, 
as president, you need to look at this town because this is a microcosm of what conservative politics look like, which we are not a political podcast. We've said that many, many times. Sure. And so I'm not, I'm not going to state whether or not that's right or wrong. What the article neglected to state was that the mayor of Lima is and has been since the mid eighties, a Democrat, <laughs> which is just so funny. It's like, it's like, it's like nobody, nobody even asked the question, you know, when writing the article, but the, but the thing is, and this is the point of the podcast today, the, the people writing that article, they don't love Lima. They weren't, they're not from Lima. Right. They saw a particular, they saw through a particular lens, a town that they wanted to write a story about, a particular group of people that they wanted to group into a particular political category, which honestly, Lima is very complicated politically, in my personal opinion. But they wanted to just group everybody into this hardcore conservative here. And, 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 and they wrote a story, which they sent out to the nation, about a town which I thought was very disparaging and very unfair to a group of people that, that wake up every morning trying to do what's best for their kids, trying to make ends meet, you know? And uh, in reading that article, I was so infuriated because it was an article about my town. Yeah. My town that I love. And um, it really made me think that, you know, the way that I talk, the way that I act in the world is definitely affected by my loves and how how much I love the things that I'm a part of. You know, um, we read stories all the time from from news agencies that we don't know whether or not they're telling the truth. We don't know what vantage point, but they're just, they're telling us stories and we receive these stories. Um, I think that our world would be a very different place if the prerequisite for writing any story in the news was that you had to love the topic that you were talking about or love the place or love the person. And if you, if you didn't love the person, if you didn't love the place, then you weren't allowed to write about them. Our world would be fundamentally different. The way that we saw the world would be completely different. Sure. You know? And, and, and I feel like something has happened and, and a lot of people talk about this and, and, if you're looking for a, a book to read, I think we've mentioned it before, but the Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska has written this book called Them. And 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 he he says that that something happened in our country where used to be our our, our identity used to be focused on where we lived. Um, I went to this church in my town. I was a part of this key, you know, Kiwanis Club or Lions Club or whatever club, um, Rotary Club. Uh, my kids played on the local school team, and yeah. I cheered for them because that's where I was from. And 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 how our identity used to be centered on where we lived. And he said then a shift happened to where some of these towns got smaller, and people didn't start didn't appreciate them as much as maybe they once did. And a shift happened to where our identity shifted to not what was happening locally and what I was involved in, but it shifted to this tribalism. Of, of what was happened nationally and the the polity or the politic or whatever uh, that I more identified with became the thing that identified me rather than what was happening locally. And so if I was a Republican, then I got really involved in the, the presidential race. And, and we're not saying once again, good, bad, indifferent, but if I was a, Dem- a Republican or Democrat, like I put all my energy and identity in getting a certain person elected that lives in a White House on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, in Washington DC, where I don't live. <laughs> yeah, 
and I don't have a lot of investment. And quite honestly, I don't really know the extent to which that person affects my life because it's so complicated and so big and so beyond me. Not, 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 not anyone would admit that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Totally. And, and like, listen, once again, you can, you can love the president right now, but he has no idea where Paulding, Ohio is. Like, like that, no, that's not good or bad. It's just the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like if I were to say, hey, I'm from Paulding, Ohio, he'd be like, where in the world is that? Sure. And, and so, but yet we get so, and, and that's not just this president. That's probably presidents. Yeah, sure. Barack no, Obama. Yeah, exactly. yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like yeah, Bill yeah. Clinton, like yeah. just, just name them. Like it's, yeah. so it's not an indictment against this current president. It's just the truth probably about all the presidents. Uh, although I've heard, have heard a few have been through Paulding, Ohio. Anyways, but I think that it's just this, so, so we shifted our identity to not where we live and the people that we interact with every day and the potentially the, the religious community that we affiliate with, the school, where we really could make a difference and we could really invest our lives into. And it shifted to this thing that we really have no connection to other than an ideology that, like you said, uh, stuff happens in Washington, D.C. It may affect my life generally. But most importantly, really what happens in my community has more effect on my family, on the church that I get to serve in than anything that happens in Washington, D.C. Well, and so much of that dynamic is made possible and facilitated by the social media movement of the last decade and a half. Because in the past, um, I, I was very I was concerned for the things locally that were happening because those were the things that I had instant access to. But now because of phones um, that are in our hands all the time, we are made aware by our news app and Facebook and Twitter about things that are going on nationally. And so the things that are happening nationally that are popular, they they take attention from us that we used to not be giving to them because the only way for us to know about what was going on nationally was by watching this, the 5.30, the 6 o'clock, the 6.30 news, yeah, you know? And so um, now there's, there's kind of this, there's this, uh, speaking to your tribal identity, different people are trying to um, figure out what's cool, what they want to be a part of that's, that's more national. And so um, even, even as a musician, local music is, it seems to be more discounted now than it used to be. When I was a kid, um, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't, which is just crazy to think. Right. When I was a kid, we didn't have YouTube. The only way to see our favorite bands was to go to big shows. Yeah. And so what we did is we had a punk rock scene here in Lima where we would we would do shows for each other and we would cover the music that we were hearing on the radio or that we bought in our cassettes and our CD players. Um, now there's not much of a, there's not much of a scene because what I, what I feel kids are doing, and if you have a different opinion, you can uh, write me an email or send me a text or call me. <laughs> but what, what I see happening is so many kids are comparing themselves to these excellent, polished, produced groups on the internet, and they're not making as many um, local bands and being invested in finding an identity in um, making art locally because they're kind of comparing it to the standard of what's national. Also... Um, people are really caught up in wanting to make viral videos or like um, they want to produce things that is, um, that is known national nationally. So the standard of quality has become not what's acceptable locally, 
But what is the national standard has become the standard for different locations. And um, it's been detrimental to the volume of production in local communities. Yeah, and I think that as we are... So as we are part of our communities, and once again, I think you mentioned it earlier, is how do we as a people, how do we as a church, how do we as people who are following after Jesus, and maybe people who aren't following after Jesus, change change back the paradigm in our mind where we are more invested and we get more upset and we we invest more of our time and energy and and tweeting and Facebooking to making our local our local communities better than blowing up Facebook about things that are happening on this national stage that once again I, I really it's not that your vote doesn't count. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that, but but that that really isn't going to affect what's happening in my life. And I feel like I, I totally agree. I think I, I remember when I was in high school, we'd have a day, and we would probably have three or four bands do a battle of the bands just in my local high school. Yeah, just in my local high school, and. And it was a big deal. And and the way they got money is, you know, they'd pass around a jar and you'd put money in and whoever brought in the most money for that day, that's the band that won. Yeah. And it was a big, big deal. And 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 it, I, I'm not even sure, it, it just doesn't seem even to be a, a big thing at all these days. And as far as Paulding, and I don't know about where I grew up, I haven't, you know, obviously lived there for a while. Um, but yeah, instant success, you know, my kids watch YouTube and, and all the, you know, I could name off some names about people. They're like, oh, this guy's awesome and this guy's not. And they, they're battling. And, you know, sometimes I've asked my youngest, what do you want to do? Oh, I'm going to be a YouTube star. I'm like, all right, man, let me know how that works out for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and it's all about the quick hit. It's all about the, the quick slam of the group that I disagree with. It's all about the quick quip rather than rolling up my sleeves jumping into my local context and saying, what am I going to do to make this better? And I think that only happens. The paradigm that I think that's really got to shift is we have to start loving the place where God is planting us and, and being a part and, and really just saying, this is a great place and I want it to be as best as it can be so that, um, so that others will enjoy it. And uh, it begins with the love of the place that, where you live. We often talk about local or um, relevant contemporary issues through the lens of the Bible. And I think that there's a passage in scripture that is very relevant for talking about the place that we live in the way that we're talking today. The people of Israel in exile had an identity problem. They had been uprooted from their homeland and taken away in exile to Babylon. Uh, Many people's favorite verse is found in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. We don't often talk about the context of that chapter in that passage. What's going on in Jeremiah 29 is false prophets have come to the people of Israel in Babylon and they have said to these people, hey, your national identity is Jewish. You're an Israelite. Don't be fine with saying. Don't be fine with staying here. We need to figure out how to um, be a part of an uprising and get ourselves back to Jerusalem and mobilize and reinstitute our national identity. 
These are what the false prophets are saying. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah in opposition to this nationalistic identity. And here's what uh, the scripture says in Jeremiah uh, 29, starting in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, send the Lord, says the Lord. I think about this passage a lot when popular Christians try to tell uh, the people that go to my church and that are in my community to spend all of their time investing in national political identities. Because as I read the scripture, uh, I see the spirit of God in the Old Testament and then the work of Jesus in the New Testament being very particular and being very local. This is in theology, the scandal of particularity, the idea that Jesus came to a particular place in a particular time, which is really mind boggling. The God who is, who is, who is infinite, who is um, all powerful and knowing and whatever all word you want to put in front of it, he reveals himself as one who is located in a particular place in a particular time to a particular people. And in Jeremiah, God's command to the Israelites is, don't get caught up into the politics of this place. Stop, stop worrying about your national identity as your first priority. But seek the welfare of the city to where I've sent you. That, that's, that's huge. It... it makes me even go back further, and I think this is just a retelling of how God wanted it to be the whole time. Like, like even if you look at the call of Abram, he says, go. He doesn't even tell him where. But as you go, I will bless you. And, and I'm not going to bless you so that people will look at you and think, man, that Abram sure is blessed. But I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing to all people. And I think uh, you can jump ahead and you think, man, these, this people is just to be, to let God lead and guide and direct wherever he is sending them. And then you get to Samuel 8 and, and something hap- has happened in the, in the mind of the Israelite. And they, they lose that identity of who God wants them to be because they start looking at all of the other countries around them and think, man, that looks pretty cool. Maybe we want that too. And there was this understanding of this. We want to be a nation like all the other nations. And so they ask Samuel to give them a king. Give us a king so that we can be like everybody else. And, and Samuel gets upset because he's the judge. He's the one that's kind of helping them along and be who God's calling them to be and reminding them. And, and he goes to God and he's like, I don't understand. Like, and, and like I said, I think he was just frustrated and upset. And then God says something to Samuel. He's like, give them a king. But no, don't take it personal. It's not you they are rejecting as their leader. It's actually me and, and the way that I have set this up from the beginning to be a people 
that was different than the rest of the nations, that was different because their identity was not to be in what all of the other nations identified themselves in. Their identity was the their their identity was to be, hey, you were once slaves in Egypt, and I set you free. And because I set you free, I actually want you to extend that same grace to other foreigners and other slaves and other people. And and that's going to be a, a total different way of viewing what it means to be a people. And they lost track of that because they looked at all the other nations and they thought, hey, we need to be a nation too. God, God's given us this land. Rather than understanding that God was like, no, I've created you to be this people, to, to live among the people, to bring this grace, to bring this love, to bring this blessing. And that's it. <laughs> and, and, and they lost track of it. And it didn't go so well. They had a great king and they had a few other good ones. And, um, and then they're falling into Babylon and Jeremiah is trying to say, this is who you were always meant to be. This is how you were always meant to live. Remember, remember who I called you to be from the beginning. The line in this passage that really makes me pause and think is the line at the end of verse seven, where, uh, the Lord says for in its welfare being the welfare of the city you will find your welfare. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's been this idea that's been bred in us and nurtured in us that we have individual welfare apart from other people. But that's not the desire of God in, at least as it's expressed throughout the pages of the Bible. Yeah. Welfare is very tied up in the welfare of other people. Um, and maybe when I say the word welfare, maybe even that's too politicized <laughs> in our current context. I'm not talking the about... The well-being. Yeah, I'm not talking about, uh, I don't know, what, what you would say, a, like a government handout or something like that. That's not welfare in this context. Welfare is, yeah, it's, it's that. It's the well-being. Your well-being is tied up in the well-being of the city. If your city is doing poorly, um, you're not going to be doing as well. What, what really bothers me is when I see Christians who have no problem living in the tension of them doing really, really well for themselves, but they look around and their city is doing terribly. Yeah, that's not that's not a godly that's not a godly way of living. That is uh, that is living that is living in a um, in a way that is definitely in tension with with Scripture, at least as it's revealed here in, in Jeremiah. And I think. Uh, as we're approaching another another presidential election season where everybody's up in arms, I'm sort of over it. Yeah. I'm, I'm already annoyed. I'm already, already tired. already have election fatigue? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm already tired because I don't know who's going to be the next president. But honestly, um, I know there's people listening that would really argue with me. But my life here in Lima, Ohio has not changed a whole lot between the time of Barack's presidency and Trump's presidency, there were some tax breaks that I would have gotten with Barack that Trump did away with, but Trump brought back a couple. So I'm like, honestly, like it's all pretty much the same for me personally. That's probably the most that they've affected my life is how I do my, my taxes, you know? Um, but we still got serious issues here in the city. Yeah. Um, the, the greatest effect, you know, of in the city was our, our RTA was really struggling during the government shutdown earlier that was going on because we couldn't get any funds from the federal government. And um, a very significant portion 
of their funds is from a federal grant yeah. for the RTA. So a lot of the working people in Lima who are trying to keep the, the lights on around here weren't able to get, we're having a tough time getting to work, you know, because the RTA sure. was going to, was going to shut down. It didn't. So we, we were okay, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm worried about. Um, that's what I'm concerned with is my city and my town. I'm sending my kids to a school that was graded an F by the state of Ohio. And if the school district doesn't get any better, then the state's going to come in and take it over. Well, every school district that the state's come and taken over, it hasn't helped anything. Yeah. You know, more bureaucracy doesn't change anything. You know what changes local schools is parents who care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what changes local schools is teachers who care, who are supported by their school district, yeah. by their administrators, you know? And I mean, if you want to, ch if you want to change and affect a generation of, of people in a town in poverty, figure out locally how to help and support those parents, those young uh, single moms in many cases in Lima, Ohio, that need help. And honestly, um, this has become my political agenda <laughs> is Lima, Ohio. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, I'm just not interested in having some national conversation that's heated about abortion because honestly, there are, there are so many kids in my town that are born that don't have parents yeah. to take care of them. What my wife and I are wrestling with right now is, Lord, are you calling us to adopt kids? Yeah. I mean, that's the way to be pro-life, folks. <laughs> you know, like, if you want to be pro, like, don't talk to me about being pro-life if you're not going to take care of children. Yep. Because there's so many orphans in my town, you know? Um, even, even the immigration thing. I mean, I live, a far, I live far away from the border. And so I, I don't know how to engage very, very well in that conversation as we don't have a lot of Latino immigrants in Lima, Ohio. There are more north of us, kind of where there are more to, like tomato fields and agriculture that lends itself to migrant workers. Sure. Um, but, there, but there are other people in my town that are, that are having a tough time um, uh, finding jobs. I mean, if there's anything close to immigrants in my town, it's probably the ex-felons. Um, guys getting just out of jail because we got a large uh, prison here, or um, people getting off of drugs. They need help and support. And I mean, those are the people that are getting my energy, that are getting my focus. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a phrase, and I'd be interested in your kind of thoughts on it. But I, somebody said, I forget who it was, so I'm sorry. They, they probably don't listen to this podcast, but you know, because <laughs> anyways. Something to the effect of, if the church is really being the church, then your your local community she should actually be getting better. That that if the, if the people of God are growing and seeking to be like Jesus, and we're really reaching it out the best we know how, then potentially poverty should be getting less, divorce rates should be going down, um, kids should be getting taken care of, schools should be better because the church. I think traditionally has been at its best when it is engaging in its local context and engaging in such a way to saying, this isn't where it needs to be. We, the church are going to, to do our best to, to make this what it needs to be because we believe that the community that we live in, the, the level should be rising, that the, the, the grades should be getting higher because we are going to read with kids and we're going to do math with kids and we're going to make sure that they have what they need. 
And, and unfortunately, I think what's happened is there's a lot of towns with several churches. I know in my small town, there's many churches. And unfortunately, if you talk to people, it seems like there's more drug use. There's more people who are, are hurting. There's more people who are, are going through depression. There's more people, kids who can't read. And if the church is really being the church, especially in a town our size, like that should not, to me, it should not even be thinkable. <laughs> if we're really being who God is calling us to be. Jeremy, when we were talking earlier, you were uh, you mentioned the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And one of the temptations uh, that Satan, the adversary, gives to Jesus is one of uh, like national prominence. It's, it's the last temptation, actually. After he's been tempted to turn bread to stone, or stones to bread, and then jump off the temple... The last temptation was, all you have to do is bow, bend the knee to me, and I'll give you all the power, all the kingdoms of the world. And and, and I think that, that as I hear that, you think, huh, it's kind of interesting. And it would have been an easier way for Jesus to, to be recognized. It would have been an easier way for Jesus to, to, to be the leader of the world. And, and sometimes I think we look at that and we think, man, how much good could that have, have come? And, or how, could, could he have done um, but once again, it wasn't the way that God had set it up from the beginning. It was never about power. It was about serving. And so, yeah, the last temptation was, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, all the authority. All you got to do is bow down. And and Jesus said, no, it's not who God has sent me to be. It's not who I'm going to be. Well, there is such a temptation in our age uh, to measure the success of our lives by national impact. We, we size ourselves up on Twitter and our Facebook accounts by how many followers or how many friends we have. And we look at celebrities who have all of these followers and all of these friends, and we measure their lives compared to ours, and we think that they have more significance or more relevance or something. But all that is is false temptation. There's not an ounce of truth in it. Um, I also think about the Ten Commandments, how... Uh, two of the commandments, one of them is um, to not commit adultery and the other one is not to covet. And I think about committing adultery, not just in a, a sexual sense to one's spouse, but when you come into a, when you come into a town, into a place, you enter into a relationship to, with, to that place that I don't know that we value or think of very much. And there are people, listen, there are people that would argue with me. Like, and I want you all to know that I'm aware of that. I'm aware that there's a counter argument out there that there, there are many people that would just say, you know, a town, just utilize it for what it can do for you. It's kind of a medium for you to, uh, to get what you want out of your life. But I fundamentally disagree with that premise. My town is, my town is not just a medium for me to use. It's a, it's a special and sacred place that I live, um, that, I, that I respect, that I love, that I care for, that I nurture, that needs me. My, my town and my home is... is um, it's a it's an extension of who I am, and I in in an in an age where we chase jobs or professions to wherever they may take us, and we're kind of indifferent to them. I don't know that we want to have an identity that's tied to a place. And some of you may be listening to this podcast and be like, maybe like, listen to these two goofballs. They live in Lima, Ohio, and <laughs> Pawning, Ohio, and they want to make a case for 
their place being really, really important because they know that their place is not as important as my place of New York City or Los Angeles or Austin, Texas. And I would just say to you, okay, <laughs> what are you doing for New York City? Right. What are you doing for Austin, Texas? How is that a better, how are you not, and everyone else that lives in the high rises in that town, how are you not just using what that town can offer you? How are you blessing it? It doesn't, the, this, this is a part of Christianity that it doesn't matter if it's Lima, Ohio, or if it's New York City. Um, but I, I think that, I think that when you're in a place that's small, like Paulding, you do see the, the significant impact that one, 15, or 100 people can have. And the problem with living in a major city, in my personal opinion, is that you get lost in a sense of importance or significance or value that you play to the welfare of the city. And um, I, think that that's, I think that that's a struggle of identity that, that um, a millennial generation is really trying to grapple with right now is as far as meaning is concerned, how does the place that I live, how does it affect um, um, my, like my meaning? How do I understand the places I live at? the place that I live as a part of my own self-understanding. I, I got on this rant just really wanting to talk about faithfulness, but I think that in, I think that in the same way um, that we are faithful to a spouse, that we're faithful to our faith, that we're faithful to our children. I think that the world longs for people that are faithful to their home, mm. that care for their home. Um, Amazon I don't have a complete, I, I have an Amazon membership. So, I, I mean, take what I'm saying here with a grain of salt. Uh, for the sake of convenience, I have an Amazon membership because, I mean, there's stuff that I can get on Amazon that I just can't get locally. Yeah. But I do have a conflict when I can buy something on Amazon for five bucks cheaper than I can buy it locally. I do have a conflict because I ask myself the question, how am I helping out the welfare of my city by buying it on Amazon? Now, a person that's just a complete capitalist that doesn't prioritize, you know, their faith above money would say buy on Amazon every time. But I'm, I'm getting in this place with my understanding of my town and my love for my town that I'm um, inclined to buy more expensive vegetables at the local farmer's market to support my farmers. I'm more inclined to call a local um, carpet layer or painter or someone that's not a part of some big corporation to come and take care of um, my, my house or whatever my job is that I need to get done. Because I realize in a very real way, that check that I write for them that day, there's no other overhead cost except that's what's going to feed their family. You know? And um, if my welfare is tied up in the welfare of Lima, Ohio, then I make decisions very differently. I make ethical decisions. I make decisions about my finances differently because I'm, I'm caring for the people that work in my town. And I think you make des decisions differently about what conversations you choose to engage in and not engage in on a national level. Because I think as, as a people, once again, we, you know, it, you brought the 10 commandments like idolatry, the, the, the idolatry of power. I think sometimes we read, you should have no idols before me. And we think of a little wooden sculpture or something that's sitting on our desk or on our mantle or on our whatever. And I think the the idolatry of power is a real temptation and a real sin that we don't talk a whole lot about in our churches.
you also never know how much of a national, international, you know, global impact you will have by being faithful in your local context. I think that's one of the amazing things is um, there are so many stories of people of faith who are just faithful to the one thing that God called them to do that changed the world because they were concerned with being faithful in their local context to the one thing they were called to do. It reminds me of a Jewish proverb that if you change the life for one person, it's as if you're changing the world. Yes. And made popular by a movie called Schindler's List, but... um, and it reminds me of a guy named Mordecai Ham, and probably all of you are thinking, "Who is Mordecai Ham?" I don't know that name. And Mordecai Ham was a pastor, and uh, he happened to be preaching the sermon when a young boy named Billy Graham moved forward to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And we don't we don't talk a lot about Mordecai Ham, but man, we all know the effect Billy Graham had on the world generations generations and met with presidents and foreign leaders and just unbelievable and and you know you don't want to play like maybe devil's advocate but if mordecai ham had thought man i want to be on a national stage or i want to be known around the world and wasn't just faithful to preach and be who god had called him to be um you know billy graham who knows you know and so i think it just goes to show that maybe the most important thing we can do as christians is invest in the people and the kids and the teens and the older people that we see every day walking our streets or that are in our nursing homes or that are in our schools. And and maybe the best thing, people may never know who Jeremy Thompson is, but maybe God might give me the blessing to reach somebody else who may go on and do something that that would just blow everybody else away. And if, if we are seeking to be all that God is calling us to be, and if, if we just say, like, once again, maybe the best thing we can do is just say, man, I live in Pauline, Ohio, and I'm going to be the best Christian that I know how to be to all the people that I come in contact with. And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough. The best thing that maybe we could do to give our energy to is to not be so focused on, is this going to get me fame? Is this going to get me money? Is this going to get me recognition? Is this going to get me honor? Maybe the best thing we can do is just say, I'm just going to love my town and the people in my town the best way I know how. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.